0: I am really excited because usually what happens is, is we start a new series and Ben gets to start it out. <laughs> Have you noticed that? Like every single new series, Ben is always up here saying, this is what we're going to talk about. This is what Matt's going to do in the next weeks, and it, Like I'm in a bottle. <laughs> well, I, it's my turn, buddy. <laughs> so I get to introduce this new series. I get to set the trajectory. And he has no idea what I'm going to be talking about. So this is going to be really fun. We're in a new series called Wish You Were Here, and I assure you this has nothing to do with Pink Floyd, although, although I did consider, like, making the themes for our different weeks, like Pink Floyd songs, which, anyway, that could go a lot of different ways. <laughs> but the purpose of this series is, it's just, uh, it's real simple. It's just, we're going chapter by chapter through a book in the New Testament, which is actually a letter, uh, but it's, it's a book that we call 1 John. And as we go through this, we're going to see that in 1 John, God, in many ways, says, I know that you're there, and I love you, but I wish you were here. I wish you were here. And so we're going to look at a lot of different here's that God has for us in 1 John. I thought what would be fun to kick off this series, especially for you 930 people who are just all full of energy, I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about it. Then I want you to share your answer with somebody nearby. Here's the question. If all the places in the world... And we'll put the question on the screen here. Right? I, okay. Of all the places in the world, if you could go anywhere you wanted to, where would you be? Like, where's the here that you would like to be? And this isn't a trick question to say, well, I wish I were at Bethlehem worshiping. That's, it's not a trick question. This is legit. Like, next week, if you could be anywhere in the world, where would your here be? I wish I could be here. So think about it. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, share that with somebody else. Go. Okay, I want to hear some answers. I wish I were... Arizona. It's getting hot there right now, Ed. <laughs> Somebody else. I wish I were... Hawaii, in Hawaii. Guilty. Yeah. I wish I were... In Australia. Uh, one more, or a couple more. I wish I were... Up there, starting a series. Up there, starting a series. <laughs> <laughs> Hush. Hush. <laughs> Now, now here comes the part where I learned from you guys. So I want you to think about this place where you say, okay, where's your here? I want you to think about it. I want you to raise your hand if chances are good that you will be here where you said within the next five years. Like, chances are good you can go where you, where the, to the place where you picked. And Don't do this church thing where it's like, you kind of raise your hand. I need to see this. okay. So most of you, it looks like a majority of you, picked a place that it's likely you can go or will go in the next five years. And maybe this is starting some conversations with your spouse today. <laughs> I want you to raise your hand, though, if the place you picked is probably a place that you can't go, at least in the next five years. Probably not a place you can go. So, so some of you kind of took this wish to the fullest extent, right? You said, well, it's not likely, so if, if I can just make a wish, it's going to be a place where I probably can't Go, And here's what I know about wishes. When we wish for things that probably won't happen, well, what does it do? What do you do? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> if, if you wish to go somewhere, but you know there's no way you can go there, you're not going to plan. You're not going to take any steps to be there. It's just going to be this far-off place that you occasionally visit in your head. But for some of you, you say, well, wait a minute. There's a place, and I'd love to be there, and it could actually happen. You're going to make plans so that in three years, in four years, whatever it may be, you can take that trip and go there. Now, the reason I bring this up is because in this series, we're going to see a lot of different hears that God has for you. A lot of different places He wants you to be. And you know this already. You already know that there are some places that God wants you to be. And part of you says, well, His here's are unrealistic God says I want you to be here and here is perfect Okay, and you're like well that's not going to happen so I'm not sure what to do with that God says I want you to love your enemies God says I want you to to, love as I have loved you and you're looking at all these here's that God wants you to be at and you're thinking well I can't do that though So what I hope we can do in this series is we can take a realistic look at some of the here's that God has for you and simply look at them from a perspective that God really does want us to be in these places. They are realistic. They are places where God wants us to be. And we're going to see why, especially in today's message. So we're going to do kind of two things today. We're going to look at just a broad foundation for the entire series. I'm going to share some ideas about God's wishes in general but we're also going to do that in tandem with looking at one of the places in particular that God wants us all to be. And, and as I said, this is really a study through a New Testament book, a letter called 1 John. And it's in this letter. If, if you think that God's wishes for you are unrealistic, the guy who wrote this letter knows that. Um, It was written by John, the apostle of Jesus, and here's here's where John is when he's writing this letter filled with God's wishes for you. So John was an old man. I mean, he's been receiving senior discounts for a couple decades by now. He's old, and the thing is, he's the last surviving apostle of Jesus. Of all the 12, he's the only one left. And you might think, well, that's a pretty sweet deal that he survived. As tradition has it, there was one point in John's life when all the other apostles were gone that that they decided to execute John. And and as tradition goes, they decided to do this not by simply making it quick or or beheading him, but they said, we're going to make him suffer. So they put him in a pot of boiling oil. This is how tradition goes. Tradition says, well, some people observed this and they said it was a miracle, and others say that just somehow chance, somehow John survived. Okay, so the execution didn't work. And they said, well, John, since you're just such a tough old guy, we're going to let you live. We're going to send you to this this island prison, basically their version of Alcatraz, and you're going to live out the rest of your days there. So here's old John in prison. And by the way, you remember what God's wishes were for, for John? John, I wish you were here. For John, those wishes were simply, John, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. I want you to be a witness to the ends of the earth. And now John is sitting in prison. Well, that wish is pretty unrealistic. How does God want me to take this forward? And in just a minute, we're going to dive in to what he said. First of all, here's just a general truth as we look at God's wishes for you and for, one, for, for, for everyone in this room or everyone listening to this message. God, here's, here's the truth. God loves you where you are right now. And I know that because God said he did. It goes so far as to say God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved the world where it was at. God loves you where you're at. God loved you and he loved me even when we were his enemies. Jesus laid down his life, not for people who loved him, but for people who hated him. So here's the thing. God loves you where you're at, but... He loves you too much to leave you there. He loves sinners where he finds them. Jesus expressed his love and he showed love to sinners where he found them, but he loved them too much to leave them there. He said, I love you there and all, but I would wish i love it if you were here. There's always a better place that God has for us. If you're taking notes, this is the first fill-in. God loves you there, wherever you're at. He loves you no matter what, but he would love to see you move. He would love to see you here. And we're going to look at some of the here's in First John, and we're going to see that there's a bunch of different places that God calls us to. I love you there, but I wish you were here. And, and we're going to see why God does that for us and, and what exactly that means. Um, so we're going to look at First John chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 5 today, and we're going to see, arguably, the most important place where God wants us to be. And this is one of the toughest. I, I, would, I would say that the application I have for you at the end of this message is probably the toughest one that I could possibly dream up for you. Um, and so we're going to get there and see why it's important to, to do that. So First John 1, verse 5. John, the old guy, is writing this. He says, look, the, this is the message that we have heard from God, from him, and we declare to you. And he just says it real succinctly. God is light. And in him it's just, it's not just that there's no darkness, but he says there's no darkness at all. The essence of God is light. And John's language is very simple, right? It's like we don't have any questions about what the vocab words mean here. But at the same time you're wondering well, what does this metaphor mean? Like what do you mean God is light? And what do you mean by darkness and there's no darkness in him? What does that mean? Uh, We're going to flesh that out in just a little bit. But first, I just want to make this quick observation. Where is God in the light? Where does God want you to be? This is easy. I'm sorry. A second fill-in if you're taking notes. God says, I wish you were in the light. I wish you were here with me in the light. And, and th- that's just the truth we're going to put down on paper right now, and then we're going to talk about what exactly this means because there's a lot of different ideas about what it means to be in the light versus in the dark. Some people view it as a knowledge thing, like you have to know certain things, you have to be in the light, and people in the dark are ignorant of certain things. Uh, Some people view this as a righteousness versus wickedness. Like if you're in the light, that means you're a good person. If you're in the darkness, you're a bad person. And there's lots of different ways to look at this. And what makes this even more complex is that in the Bible, it uses this this metaphor of darkness and light in different ways to mean different things. So I was thinking, John, what do you mean God is light? It would be nice if in some other place... You, you uh, spelled that out a little bit more for us. And lo and behold, what I found in John chapter 3, so John's account of Jesus' life, so not first John, but John chapter 3, he goes on to explain this situation between Jesus and Nicodemus, and it's there that John sets the foundation for what he means by light. So this is Jesus speaking. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Why? Because God is light, and Jesus is God. And so light has come into the world. But people love darkness instead of light. And we don't understand that yet. But this next phrase will help us figure out what, the, what, it, what this means, dark and light. Because their deeds were evil. Okay, so something about evil doesn't like the light where God is. And, and we're going to learn more in this next, uh, next verse here. Uh, next verse. Everyone who does evil hates the light. And will not come into the light for fear that, this is the important part, their deeds will be exposed. So if you've done evil, if you've done bad things, you don't want to bring them into the light. There are certain things you don't tell certain people because you don't want your luggage to be brought to light. And then Jesus finishes it this way Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. Well, what is the truth? Truth is that God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes that truth comes into the light, not because they're perfect and not because they're righteous, but they do that so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done, good or bad, has been done in the sight of God. You see, these people who go into the light, it's not that they're perfect, and it's not like they have nothing to hide, but they're saying, what I've done is now in the sight of God, and I trust Him to deal with me by His grace. As I thought about ways to explain this further, (laughs) you don't have to think too hard, because you look at the sun, except don't look at the sun, but you consider the sun, and you know where the sun is, there is light, there is heat, there's all these things, right? Now, on a beautiful day like today, when we wish we could open up these windows, if you were to go outside, you'd be in the light, right? Like, people would be able to see you. They'd be able to see what you look like. Any defections in your complexions would be clear to everyone. Um, The question is, if you go outside, or, or maybe just on a nice day like this, can you separate yourself from the light? Like, can you hide from the light? It's not a... It's kind of a trick question. Yeah, you can hide from it. It's called the shade. It's called going inside of a room and closing the doors and the curtains. You can be in the dark even when it's light out. And and some people prefer that because of what they are doing. This is what John is saying. So When Jesus came, it was the light of the world coming. It was God himself. Some people didn't like that. Some people would have rather kept their baggage and kept the bad things, kept their defections away so that they would not be brought to light. Now, with that understanding, what John says in his letter makes all the sense in the world because he's writing to these people, and it's basically a group of Christians in an area in modern-day Turkey, um, except it was Asia Minor back then. He's writing to them. He's saying, God loves you there, but he wishes you were here. He wishes you were in the light. And he goes on to explain why. So uh, verse 6 in 1 John, he says, if we claim, by the way, this phrase is going to come up three times because John is old and he repeats himself. This is going to come up three times. So if nothing on this screen makes sense, that's okay. He's going to repeat it two more times in a different way. So he says, if we claim, if our defense or if we're standing up against the judge and this is kind of where we stand, if we claim to have fellowship, with God, if we claim to be followers of God, and yet we walk in the darkness, if, if there's things that we're saying, well, I don't want Him to see this, or I'm going to hold this sin in, what we're doing is we lie and we do not live out the truth. And then we we talked about this before. Well, what's the truth? The truth is God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Do you believe that He forgave you? If so, why would you keep things? In the dark. Why would you walk in the dark? But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, not just with God, we have fellowship with one another. Because the same forgiveness is given to us all. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. John is saying, come on, why would you walk in the dark? God loves you where you're at, but he would love to see you here in the light. Because here, your sins are freely forgiven by God. Okay, so John repeats himself. Next verse. If we claim to be without sin. Well, you know what? I've got my sin under control, God. There's nothing too bad going on. Yeah, I let it slip every once in a while, but it's not a big deal. If we claim to be without sin, we're not being honest with ourselves. We're lying to ourselves. The truth is not in us. But, here's the positive. If we confess our sins. God is faithful. God is just. He will forgive us our sins and will purify us from all unrighteousness. And you see how John is just encouraging, encouraging. God loves you there, but he would love to see you here. Wishes to have you here. And then last one here. If we claim we have not sinned, we not only deceive ourselves, but we make God out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. And at this time, the people might have been thinking, well, wait a minute. So you're saying that we can just be evil and wicked and do bad things and then just confess them to God and we'll be good? So let's just go sin some more. And John says, well, no, I write this so that you will not sin. That's the point. Living in the light means that you're always open to God and that things are always in His sight. Um, quick story here. So it's been 23 months for me since I got to go see my parents in Oklahoma. And I know it's 23 months because the last time I saw them was when I traveled from Arizona to Minnesota to be a pastor here. And so that was June, two years ago, that I got to be with them. And that's the only week I've been homeless, by the way. Like, we were between homes at that time. So we came up to, to, uh, to, to Minnesota, and that was the last time I got to see my, my parents. And what do you think my parents have been telling me the last 12 months? Matt, we wish you were here. Matt, it would be great to see you again. When are you going to come? When are you going to come? We wish you were here. And I know what they really mean. They mean, Matt, we wish the grandkids were here. (laughs) It's like every time they ask, well, how are the kids? How are the kids? I'm fine, thanks. But here's the thing. When my parents say, wish you were here, wish you were here, it's not this guilt thing like, you better be here, or we've been expecting you, or you better come or else. It's not this guilt thing. By the way, I have the best parents in the world, and sometimes they listen to these sermons. It's not this guilt thing. But when they say, wish you were here, or when are you coming, I know it's because they want something for me. They want something for the family. It's good, it's healthy, it's important to be together as a family. And I want you to know that when when, when your Father in Heaven says, wish you were here, wherever here is, it's not a guilt trip. He's not saying, you better be here if you want to be my child. It's not that he wants something from you. He wants something for you. That's true of every wish of God, but especially this wish for you to be in the light with him. To be in the light doesn't mean, well, God is expecting you to be perfect or to be holy or to you know, live up to your, his expectations. That's not what it means to live in the light. To live in the light is simply to be in a place where you confess your sins to God and he is able to address them. He wishes. You are here because he wants something for you, not something from you. That's our, that's our third fill-in. God wishes things for you, not from you. We see this especially today, but I, I think I'm going to bottle up Ben here and force him down a certain path. I think we're going to see this in the next few weeks, too, where when God says, wish you were here, it's not that he's expecting things from us, but he says, I wish you were here, because there's something that's going to help you honor me. And we don't see this any clearer than in what happens next in 1 John chapter 1. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trespass into chapter 2, just a couple verses, Ben. So this is his chapter next week, and I think this will be safe. But I want to I wanna highlight the first two verses here because John had just said, Look, I'm sharing this with you, not so that you'll sin. This isn't your license to sin. But then he's like, Well, wait a minute. I need to address something else. He says, If anyone does sin... In the light, where we're open and honest to God. If anyone does sin, you might think, well, that's it. I'm over. I'm I'm in darkness now. John says, no. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a helper, a counselor with the Father. And here's who he is he is Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, where in Greek it's just one word He is the propitiator. Use that word this week. It simply means a deflector, like something was coming from God to you, this punishment, but Jesus was the deflector of that, and he deflected it by being a sacrifice, by dying in your place. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and here's the awesome thing, not just ours, the sins of the whole world. If only you would be in the See, as as God looks at all of us, the whole world, he loves the world. He sent his son for the world. He loves you where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He says, I would love to bring you from there to here. I would love to bring you from there into the light because, not because I want something from you, but I want something for you. And, And as I thought about the bottom line, well, how do we... Picture this. What does it mean to be in the light? Well, it means these two things. First of all, being here requires confession from you and perfection from Him. A confession that God, I am a sinful person by nature, and I have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, and I need forgiveness. It requires confession, but it also requires perfection. And that means you trust God to carry that out for you. God loves you where you are. He loves you too much to leave you there. He says, I wish I could bring you from there to here in the lights because I have something for you, and it is forgiveness for those who confess. Um, We could close with a prayer right there, but I want to give you two practical ways this week, this month, for the rest of your life, Lord willing, to to really practice what it means to live in the light, because I think this is such a figurative thing, it can be easy to lose it. So I want to give you two things. Number one is put your hands up like this, or maybe just on your knees. Um, One thing I learned several years ago, I can't remember the source, was they said that when you're in conflict with someone and when you sit down at a table to resolve things, rather than putting your hands on your legs like this, palms down, rather than crossing your arms like this, put your hands down, palm up, palm up. And they said this is a psychological Um, Exercise just to remind you and to force you to say, I'm going to be open to this person. I'm here to to establish relationship and that might mean that I need to open up who I am. It's, It's this physical way of reminding you as you settle conflict what that means. Now apply that spiritually. Every time you pray, every time you praise, every time you're in a moment where you're like, God, you're great. That's a palms up moment. Whether physically, some people do this when they sing. It's awesome. Um, Or maybe it's just an internal thing. My palms are up, my palms are up. I want to be open and honest to God because He is in the light and I want to be in the light too. Now that's the easy application, okay? So you can just think of that, palms up. Maybe write that down on your sermon notes sheet. Palms up this week, palms up to God and to one another. The second thing that I'm going to share with you is something that 90% of you will not do. And right now the guys are like, bring it on. <laughs> 90% of you will not do this. And I'm, I think probably maybe 5% of you already do this. And I'm not bragging about this. I'm not saying that I have this figured out or that I, I, I did this because um, I'm someone great. This is something that I've been doing for about two years now, ever since I came to Bethlehem. And I just have to tell you, if you're serious about living in the light, this one thing, this one practice will help you stay in the light like nothing else. And it's hard. And you're not probably, probably going to shy away when you hear it, but it's simply this. Be accountable to someone. About two years ago, I, I, I established a relationship with a pastor friend down in Texas, and every week since then, we have a phone call. And I've given him a list of questions to ask me, <clears throat> because here's what I know about me and about you. There's a part of us that says, well, there's this sin or this darkness, and I'd just rather not hand it over to God. I've got it managed. Yeah, maybe every once in a while I, I indulge, but it's no big deal. You know, when I do that and when you do that, that's us putting a part of us in darkness away from God. And what I want you to know today is that no matter how long that part of you has been in darkness, right now, it's forgiven. It's forgiven. Right now, God says, it never happened. It's it's been taken to the cross. It's gone. But what would it look like for you if you had that person every week who asked you those questions? How are you doing here? What's doing this? Uh, how How are these things doing? How many times have you done this this week? What if they were asking you those specific questions, not just to make you a better person, but simply to keep the part of you that wants to be in darkness held accountable in the light? What would happen to you this week this month. Imagine what would happen to a church full of people who are accountable to one another, and maybe just a closing idea here, you think of that thing, you're like, that's been in darkness for too long, and maybe it's not appropriate to share it with that person or that person, but here is a relationship that I have that God has given me, and I can say to them, hey, call me every Monday at five o'clock and ask me these three questions. And you do that with a Christian friend who says, you know what, it's not about your progress to, with God, and it's not about your abilities, it's about living in forgiveness and knowing that anything that's brought to light has been washed in the blood of Christ. So maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a sibling, maybe this, this, my hope, my dream is that maybe it's somebody in your growth group. Not your whole growth group, one person in your growth group. We don't have time to counsel each other through all these growth groups. Like They're only an hour long. So to one person, one person outside of your group. Wouldn't that be awesome if we could establish relationships just inside of our congregation where we could hold each other accountable? Because what we all know is this, that God loved the world. He loved you where you were the first day he found you, but he loved you too much to leave you there said, I wish you were here in the light where we could address sin and forgiveness all the time. That is the God who loves you. And in the next few weeks, we're going to see these other places. God says, wish you were here, wish you were here. And he does that because he wants something for you. He knows your life could be better. And so we entrust that to him. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Father in heaven, There's a part of all of us, and there always will be until we're in heaven, that wants to be in darkness. And maybe it's a pride thing that simply says that we can keep our own sins in check and that we can handle them and that we can minimize them. And yeah, nobody's perfect. And we make all these excuses. But you call us to a better place. You want us to be in the light where all of our sinfulness is laid open to you. And my joy is that no matter how long We've kept things in the dark. I know right now they're forgiven by you. You've taken them away. I I pray that you would use the relationships around us to keep us accountable, that you would give us people we can trust and they can trust us as we want to live in the light and stay connected to you and to one another. Uh, I ask all these blessings in Jesus' name as we also join in the prayer he taught. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name.